Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. in you know it's time to begin and wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run we're gonna try to help you out motivate you keep you moving keep you grooving with gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week Delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Third Love and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy whose madness is not just limited to March, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everybody listening at home. Uh, and I, I wonder if anyone was listening to us. Today was the LA Marathon, right? In LA today being Sunday when we're recording this, wasn't it? Today? It, always, it, it always hurts my soul when I'm not, not participating for, uh, what, seven years in a row I participated. And now... Uh, now that I'm a father, I haven't participated in several years, and it, it hurts my heart. Not well, I wasn't trying to make this about you. I was wondering if anyone was listening to DLC while they were uh, getting through the marathon. Oh, that'd be cool. You have to listen to the DLC several times, I think. Although, you know, we've had some long episodes and some fast people. So I mean, my know. marathon PR is two hours and ten minutes. I don't know what yours yeah. is. So, yeah, uh, right. I got 34th uh, in the Olympics that year. So, Well, I suspect this is going to be one of those ones that's bursting at the seams because, oh my goodness, what a week of news. We had GDC this week, a particularly big impactful gdc uh we've got games coming out we've got just so much to talk about but the good news is we have an awesome guest to do it with you know that dlc always stands for your downloadable canada and your downloadable christian but this week oh man i'm excited because dlc stands for development licensing and creative because we have a guy who has done it all in the video game biz including on working on a a ton of huge brands and games like star wars battlefront the force unleashed marvel ultimate alliance marvel versus capton and so many more now he's got a new rpg coming very soon called operencia the stolen sun our friend mr chris baker well, welcome, Chris. Welcome it, to the show. It is a pleasure to be here. I, I feel uh, honored to have my own DLC now, finally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, Chris, you've facilitated a lot of guests in the past for us, and uh, we finally got you yourself on the show, so I'm super excited to yeah, talk to you. Yeah, I think I got you David Brevik like in 2015 or something, and then you hosted yeah. like our uh, Marvel Heroes uh, panel at Comic-Con way back. Uh, yeah, and Mel Kirk you had recently, uh, who's my boss at Zen Studios. Um, yeah. yeah, I am. I am. Oh, uh, yeah, just- Jeff. Well, Chris and I were friends in real life back in the day. So take that and shove it. <laughs> you were. 
Friends of yes. so I Chris remembers it better than I do because he was older than me because Chris is super old. Uh, but Chris and my older brother were like good friends back in the day, and we wow. we jammed on the original NES together way back in kindergarten elementary school age for me. Yeah, what that was, was that? Uh, that was like 1988, I want to say, back when we were, we still had this kind of newish thing called an NES. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I went. I you know I was in uh, Christian's brother's. Uh, cub scouts or weeblows or whatever it was at the time yeah uh and yeah we would i would think i went to your house twice and i distinctly remember playing zelda the first zelda and bringing over the map that was in nintendo power that like told you like where to bomb the walls and stuff like that and like going through all oh, that so good and for i remember yeah, watching I watched DuckTales there for the first time ever. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Chris's uncle worked for Nintendo, so he told us all the secrets. I have the I have your yearbook picture. I remember when he put yes. this together, I dug him up. I have all of Chris's. So if anyone wants Chris's old elementary school photos, but not mine, just Chris's, let me know. <laughs> yes, it was just the most random thing because you mentioned Kingwood High School one time. Yeah. And I almost went to Kingwood High School, but I didn't. Yeah. So <laughs> that that kind of got us there, which and is I almost weird. didn't, Wait, so, but I did. <laughs> so so you guys uh, kind of reconnected professionally in the video game world, and then and then sort of realized backwards that you had yep. known each other as kids. Yeah, it was through yeah. Twitter. Actually, That's Jeff, wild. you had said you had said because I think it was the the parting shot or something the week you had said no one cares about Kingwood High School or something like that, <laughs> something very dismissive. I kind of came in. I was like, I kind of care. You know, I I've been <laughs> to the campus. I, I almost went there. Uh, so you know, and and it kind of just went from there. We went to the same elementary school. He showed me my very yearbook cool. picture, which I I haven't seen since probably 1988 or so. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably, you know, before the lifespan of a uh, significant portion of our listeners. But, you know, that's. Yes. Uh, and now you are working, you, you have a new baby in the form of Operencia, the Stolen Son, which is coming out very soon, right? Yes. Now, like a week. Comes out this week. Friday. We are so yeah. excited. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Operencia, Jeff. Long Excuse now. me. Excuse me. <laughs> yes. no, um, yeah, you, you actually, it's funny. You, you said uh, when you talked, you, you were kind enough to say way back when we announced in December that the game caught your eye. Um, yes. And you also said kind of a weird title, which I, I'll concede it, it kind of is, but it also kind of isn't because the game, which is a uh, first person uh, dungeon crawler, kind of like wizardry or, or Bard's Tale games like that. Uh, it takes place, uh, it's very much inspired by Central European mythology and folklore. And there are a lot of Hungarian folktales that start out by saying, beyond Operencia, or, you know, in the, in the la most of them don't take place in Operencia, but we kept like seeing the word Operencia pop up. And, and it's just kind of like this place that everybody agreed was far away. And this tale was taking place even farther away than that. So we just kind of, we needed a name for our, our land and it was like, that, that seems to fit. So, uh, so that is why we called the game Operencia, the Stolen Sun, which is, the subtitle refers to, uh, the actual plot of the game, which is that the sun is missing and you have to find it. Yeah. And, uh, I, you gave me an early code for the game and I don't, am I allowed to talk about it at all? Eh, if you like it. <laughs> well, I do. I do like it very much. It is very much my, it's very much my jam. As I said, yeah. like I, I commented on the show about when you know the announcement trailer before I even knew you were involved in it, and uh, and it, it had caught my eye just then because it's very much like you said, wizardry, bard's tale, 
uh, Ultima Underworld, those kinds of classic first person party based um, uh, role playing games, which I grew up with and love and have a very soft spot in my heart for turn based combat. I love in, in all its forms. And this is very much a modern take on that. Um, it looks beautiful in Unreal Engine, yep. and so it's like if somebody made one of those old games now, which is pretty great. And I'm, I'm, I'm not very far into it yet, but I am definitely really, really digging it. It scratches all the right itches. Uh, really cool. I mean, like the first level you get into is a sunken uh, castle. It's like a castle that's underwater, but the water is on the ceiling. I mean, cool ideas. Yeah, yeah uh, and, it, and you know, I love turn-based combat and stuff like that. So it's it's a great. Most cool of those are based on actual like folk tales or legends that that kind of come, uh, you know, from Hungary, Romania, that that area of the world, uh, which, you know, Zen Studios is based in Hungary. So, you know, it, it made a lot of sense. Like most of our developers kind of grew up with these stories and they've never really been represented in games before. You kind of get that with The Witcher, but it's a little different. It's a. Now that's yeah. that's a little farther north, <laughs> uh, so it, it's uh, it, it's a it's a very unique setting. Yet all, it also feels familiar, which I think is a, a nice kind of combination there. Yeah, well, I'll definitely be talking more about it uh, as I play more. Uh, Operencia, the Stolen Sun, comes out March 29th. Uh, I'm playing it on PC. Does support ultra wide, which I was and very beautifully so. I will say, nice. I have not seen it like that. I, I'm jealous. Yeah, well, you should be very confident. It looks great in Ultra Ride. It awesome. really does. Awesome. Um, and uh, also coming out on Xbox and PlayStation, right? Uh, oh, it is. It is Xbox exclusive on consoles. Oh, uh, that includes Xbox Game Pass day one. So if you have Game Pass, you're set. Nice. Uh, and on PC, it's actually exclusive to the Epic Game Store. So yeah, we we kind of oh, well, Windows 10, the Windows 10 store as well. But um, yeah, so th- that's where you can get it starting this Friday. And if you are at PAX. I will be there myself at the Xbox booth and we have a station there and I will be showing off the game. You can play it. Please say hi. Say you heard me on DLC. That would be awesome. Um, And yeah, I I can't wait to check uh, out that show. I've never been. Yeah. Well, I hope that our listeners give you a warm welcome. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, And it is uh, it's a game. Everybody listening should really check out. It's it's super cool. When you see Chris at PAX to say, you at Kingwood High School? And then, you know, <laughs> yeah, yes. that'll be code for I heard Kingwood you on DLCs. School. Kingwood High School? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, let us start the show officially uh, the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Oh my goodness, the stories this week. Uh, we have we have stories of the week. We may have stories of the generation this also, week. Also, well. stories are dropping as you're listening to this. Like Apple's got a thing. Sony's got a thing going on right now. Like it's nonstop stories. It's crazy. So no doubt we'll have uh, things that we're missing, but uh, there's a lot to dive into. And Chris, you are our guest. So you get first pick. I'm curious. I know you have some, some stories here that are close to your heart. Uh, What would you consider to be your story of the week? Yeah. You know, there's definitely bigger stories than what I'm going to talk about, but my story of the week is basically the non story of the week, which is that LucasArts is rising from its grave. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, ish, ish, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, th- this one uh, is very close to me. I worked at LucasArts for three years, uh, and I worked in Marvel's licensing division for seven years. So basically, for those who don't know, there was a story that went out. I, I don't know where it originated, but it spread like wildfire amongst uh, I think many it was reputable LinkedIn sites. postings. Okay, right? A bunch so. of LinkedIn postings <laughs> and people extrapolated from that. They saw uh, postings from, from LucasArts games, right. which had been yeah, right. defunct. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. LinkedIn yeah. is just goofs, you guys. Don't ever trust it. I just post things all the time. I'm like, <laughs> Unreal Engine 5 development on Switch. You know, it's just goofs. It's all just goofs. Yeah. Well, well you know, uh, these evidently okay. weren't goofs. They were actually people hired, being hired for LucasArts games, uh, p- positions like uh, producer, assistant producer, brand marketing coordinator, brand art coordinator. And people thought, what's happening? Is this like an official resurrection of LucasArts games? Chris, take it from there. Yeah. Well, yeah. First of all, the, the word LucasArts is not involved in this at all. Uh, that, that should be clear. Uh, Lucasfilm Games is what it says. Excuse me. Yes. And, and me. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I was busy at GDC the day that hit. And so I didn't even get to really check it out till the end of the day. And I saw like, you know, I was checking Twitter and I even get like a lot some direct messages. Even someone mentioned it to me during the day. Hey, uh, I hear LucasArts is coming back. What do you think? And it's like, it is. Okay. I, I literally just talked to a friend of mine I used to work with at LucasArts who had been rehired at Lucasfilm Games. Um, but yeah, the, the reason it's it's like a non-story is that they they aren't like resurrecting what LucasArts was. They're, they're hiring up for, uh, all, you know, their positions that they have uh, at Lucasfilm Games to basically review material and and all that sort of stuff um like you know we we have star wars pinball at zen studios right now uh you know and and we've had like 19 tables come out so far and it it goes through lucasfilm games and you know they tell us hey this is cool or or, could you change this or you know uh, that kind of thing to make sure everything's on brand and, and to their liking which is pretty much exactly what I did when I worked at Marvel for seven years. Uh, it, it is not like uh, a core development, uh, uh, like uh, like Lucas Arts was in the you know the Force Unleashed days, and even going further back to Monkey Island and whatnot. Uh, it, it is basically just the division that that makes sure everything is cool and, and on brand, and and making sure that things are as star Warsy as they can possibly be. And they fit with their new continu- continuities and stuff like that. It's a very important job. And, you know, I think a lot of people just don't understand that that exists at licensors. Right. Um, you know, Marvel, it has a huge uh, division for that right now. Uh, DC has it, you know, like everybody who has like licensed games has this particular division and, you know, they they don't just like sit there and twiddle their thumbs. They they do a lot of work to make sure everything is as on brand as it can be and uh, that they, you know, they, they want to make the games as good as they possibly can in, in their own rights and their, their own perspectives. Um, so, yeah, I, I I I think just there's just so much misunderstanding out there as as to what the role of a licensor was is amongst uh, even like very uh, I think industry people you know <laughs> it doesn't yeah, a lot sure. of play out there yeah I mean I, you could tell just in my attempt to make this less confusing I was confused in even calling it Lucas Arts instead of Lucasfilm Games and I think people saw Lucas and just kind of assumed it was the 
the games, you know, like you said, like the Monkey Islands of the world and the, right. the old Star Wars games. They thought, oh, they're bringing it back. That's all happening. And uh, that's not what's happening. That's not the case. But it is, uh, I think you've shed some interesting yeah. light on and, what and that I, job really is. You know, but what does it mean, though? Like, uh, I, I'm excited as a fan of Lucas Properties that they p- appear to be hiring a lot of people now because that probably means a lot of things are happening that we don't know about yet. You know, I don't really have any inside information there. I wish I did. But uh, yeah, I, I think that means there's a bright future for, you know, anything Lucas, whether it be Star Wars, Indiana Jones, whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you need people to review the IPs uh, being used, then that means people are using the IPs. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. So Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Stadia, Stadia, you're playing on your Stadia. It's a Stadia. That's I their. Don't um, that's think the, that's the official song. Mm, I, mean, I could be wrong. I mean, I, I'm not allowed to say it is yet, but <laughs> once they hear it, uh, Google announced my streaming future. Which um, tonight, behind this curtain stuff, I had some tech issues going on as we we're trying to record this. I don't know what's wrong. Still don't know what's wrong. So that makes me a little scared of my streaming future. But <laughs> <laughs> for, like, there's no cartridge for me to blow on, you know, in my streaming yeah, future. Right. Perfect. The perfect night to have everything melt down. Yeah. It's like it doesn't matter. It'll be all in the cloud. Yeah, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> you need more storage. Uh, I have a, ge- a terabyte of storage available. Oh, well, uh, anyway, I don't want to distract from Google at GDC, took the wraps off of what they are now calling Stadia, their much rumored streaming service. Project Stream was their beta of it. And they say five seconds to playing a high-end game. Um, by clicking on a link via YouTube, which is something that we had hypothesized on this show, like how they would vertically integrate into their other things. They announced 4K, HDR. They announced uh, ideas of being able to just jump in and play with somebody. Like, you're, you know, Jeff's playing uh, Mortal Kombat 11. You quarter up, you know, take him on next or jump in and, and play NBA 2K19 or whatever. Um Instant seeing you're stuck on a puzzle. I think they shown Tomb Raider and go- using Google Assistant to pull up a YouTube video that will then show you how to solve that puzzle all with low latency. They talked about how they have hubs everywhere, which I'll be honest, if you haven't watched the their presentation, the first five minutes of it to me felt like they were threatening us. <laughs> it was like, we are everywhere. We know everything. Um, but they and, and then they've kind of admitted that, yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't uh, internet is a problem for some people, but I think they use the, you know, high tides, right? Raising all boats kind of thing. Like we're going to make this thing and we're going to get everything up to speed. 5G is going to help a lot when that comes around for wireless internet. And they're all in without announcing pricing or how they pay devs, but they are all in on the streaming future. They demoed from a computer to a phone, to a tablet, to a TV, uh, no hardware for the TV except for like a Chromecast dongle if you need one. It picked up right where he left off each time as he moved over. They showed their controller that looks like a lot like the patent application controller, but minus the cool Google colors. I mean, Jeff, I, I'm day one on this thing. This, this They, they told me everything I, I wanted to hear. Well, they didn't tell you everything you wanted to hear because you have no idea who you're paying or how you're paying. Uh, so you can't really say you're day one because you have no idea who, who to send your money to. <laughs> I mean, I'm day one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's so much to dig into here, uh, and there's many, many tendrils that we need to to follow up on. But and 
Christian did a great job of overview. Here's how I would go get into it. This is a console kind of, right? This is a platform, <laughs> okay. right? It is, it is a, a cloud-based platform that developers can develop games to. They know the specs. The specs are quite impressive, in fact. Uh, they're talking about uh, 10.7 GPU teraflops, which is uh, the, the Xbox One X has six PS4 Pro has 4.2, so it's more than those combined. So this is a very powerful graphics machine on paper. We don't really know what that is going to result in, but it's a very powerful on paper machine that developers then develop games for. It's Linux-based, which has been problematic for Steam machines and, and having the Steam OS, but one would assume that Google is flexing a little stronger than perhaps Valve did in that regard. So Okay, so but there, but developer- I don't want to get hung up on that, but the difference there is that a Steam machine needs to run games natively off of it, so the game needs to be able to run in Linux, whereas this is the cloud computing thing. It doesn't need to run a game on your machine. So I- No, but it needs to run a game on their machine. Correct. Which is the, the, you can't just take a game off the shelf and play it on, on this on Stadia, right? It has to be converted and evidently they were giving talks at gdc about how easy that conversion process is and i'm sure google is going to have a lot of help for developers to convert their games to stadia but it is not it is not a pc running a pc version of the game it is a new version made for this platform yes that is being run in the cloud and then sent down to you so that to me is is very interesting because it means that games have to be created for it. They also announced uh, a whole first party push that they're going to have headed up by Jade Raymond, which is pretty exciting. They didn't announce any specific titles, but there will be exclusives to Stadia. Uh, and you can, I would imagine there will be quite a few games on Stadia at launch. We don't know how many or which, uh, although one can assume Assassin's Creed Odyssey will be one of them. Um, but they, the games have to be made for this thing, okay? And then it is sent to you. The frames of the game are sent to you just like the frames are sent to you uh, when you're watching Netflix or Amazon Prime video. Um, and so in a sense, this really is what you're talking about, Christian. The Netflixification of games is something you've been crowing about for multiple years now, being very excited about. I've been more skeptical of. I do believe this is a true inflection point in gaming we, we are witnessing a true inflection point the netflixication of games has kind of split to mean two things one is the subscription service pay this get this huge breadth of content and right. that they haven't announced that if that's what stadia is or not this is the streaming side of of netflix where um you know you're you're renting a movie on iTunes, right? Like you're paying money for a thing and then they're streaming it to you. You're never storing it locally anywhere. Um, and it worked really well for Project Stream. They also talked about the types of things that this adds, The where if you are streaming while playing, you might be getting a 1080p stream, but you'll be able to stream out you know, to your YouTube Let's Play channel at 4K, 60 frames per second. Those are dedicated different streams. Well, it, no, it automatically backs it up to YouTube for you at 4K automatically. You don't even have to tell it to do that. It just does it. And they talked about how having different people 
you know, the types of different multiplayer experiences that this could technically allow because while a battle royale now is limited to a hundred people because of servers and process, like this could be like thousands of people or people doing totally different things because they're running. I'm going to get my technical jargon wrong, uh, but different instances of the same game all talking to each other in this Google cloud. So someone else is controlling the bug while you're the person boots on the ground. And I mean, Chris, did this, you know, this, I mean, you were there, did this set GDC on fire? Uh, I know Jeff, you were there also, but yeah, it's, it's what everybody was talking about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, of course, you know, I, I couldn't actually watch anything until basically GDC was all over. So, you know, it's basically hearing, uh, secondhand from everyone who attended or, you know, just like reading headlines and stuff. But yeah, it, it absolutely set GDC on fire. Uh, it had probably the biggest booth there. Uh, you know, I didn't get a ton of time to check it out, but uh, it was a very, very active booth. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah, and I think I think we are witnessing a, a moment uh, and it's as I said, I've been skeptical before the biggest, I was very uh, persuaded playing the project stream demo and seeing Assassin's Creed run on my very crappy Chromebook uh, well at 1080p. But then I said, I, you know, I, I don't want to run games at 1080p. I'm not interested in 1080p anymore. And the fact that they are announcing 4k 60 frames per second with HDR support with Dolby surround uh, and with plans to eventually support 8K at up to 120 frames per second and HDR, it's it, that's very persuasive to me. Um, and all of the other things that you get uh, with this, Christian, you were talking about some of them on the on the game side of what what games are able to do. But I think the convenience, the ease of use, um, jumping from one game to another seeing something, seeing somebody play something on YouTube and then just clicking one link and being able to launch into that game. All of that is going to be, I think, a huge paradigm shift. And I I tweeted this during GDC, but I'm convinced that, you know, I'm going to tell my kids that we used to have to connect a box to our television with wires in order to play video games. And they're going to think that sounds so goofy and old fashioned because I, I, I do think this is the future. I, I think this is where it's all heading. I, I don't think that uh, traditional media is going to go away immediately, but I was shocked at how much negativity I was seeing in my Twitter feed and my Twitter mentions about this, how skeptical people were about it. I have seen it in action. I am very impressed with it. And I also talk about some of the, uh, the technical testing that's gone on that maybe people aren't aware of. So uh, Eurogamer did some tests. They were allowed to to do some tests. First of all, Google is saying that the, the minimum requirement is a 15 megabit per second down uh, connection, which is very attainable for most people in this country. I know some, I'm sure, aren't and are upset, but I think 15 megabits per, te- per second down is not uh, a crazy ask 5g solves that for everybody it, you know if and when it rolls yeah, off right that but that's a magical fairy <laughs> sure but i mean right the, now too yes the, i think to me and sorry to interrupt data caps i think is going to be the biggest hurdle yes. this stuff hits but yes there are other but people run into that with netflix i don't know i don't understand why that's a bigger deal for this than it would be for netflix or for downloading a game i mean if you're not having to download 45 to 60 gigabytes to play a game i mean it, it just 
I don't know. I, I, I understand that I, I don't deal with data caps. So maybe I'm a little insensitive to that particular thing. I totally understand that would be a frustration for people. But um, I mean, I think that points more to how much people hate their ISPs, <laughs> which is totally a, a valid take in America and around the world. Um, but uh, Eurogamer did some tests and found that, you know, everybody's worried about lag and latency. And they would <laughs> found that the new version of, uh, of Stadia that is, this is post the Project Stream launch. I guess Project Stream was getting like 179 millisecond of latency from button to pixel. Uh, the new version has reduced that to 166 milliseconds for Stadia. Um, what would you, that's including display lag, right? So including display lag, what would you guess the uh, latency is on the Xbox One X? <sighs> Like ninety, I don't, I don't know which way the numbers go, but like not yeah. far off from there, it's one hundred and sixty-six. <laughs> it's exactly the same. Wow! For for a game running locally on your Xbox One X, including display lag, it's exactly the same with Google Stadia. That's extraordinary, and this is, you know, these are these are tests, uh, the first wave of tests, right? And they were allowed to go into Google and do these tests. Uh, but if you read the article on your gamer, which I encourage you to do, it's pretty persuasive and pretty amazing. I mean, they're not using a crazy, uh, uh, connection. They're not using crazy hardware. They're using off the shelf kind of crappy stuff. They were using a, a Chromebook or excuse me, a pixel book. Um, so I, I understand everybody's worry about latency. I was very skeptical about a streaming solution ever really working, I think this is the future and I think it's going to really change the playing field uh, in a, in a, in a real significant way. The other thing that's so interesting to me, the thing I did not see coming, we talked, I don't know, last week, the week before about uh, the, the controller that this is really the only hardware piece that Google is announcing. And it turns out that mock-up was actually pretty darn accurate for what the Google stadia controller is going to look like but the part that i did not anticipate finding out is that this controller doesn't connect it can it they support usb controllers that plug into whatever you're using so you can use any old usb controller including dual shocks and xbox controllers etc but the actual google stadia controller doesn't connect to anything locally any piece of hardware that you're using locally it doesn't connect to your Chromebook. It doesn't connect to your Chromecast. It doesn't connect to anything in your house other than your Wi-Fi connection. And it uses that Wi-Fi connection to, to connect directly to their servers. So it is a unique uh, instance of talking to their servers directly, which means that controller, you can change what device you're playing a game on. And that controller just goes with you because it doesn't care what device you're on. It's connected directly to the Google servers. It's connected directly to Stadia, which reduces lag even further because it's not going through a middleman. It's talking directly to them, to the servers the games are being played on. And it means that there will never, you will, you will, I suspect we will get to the point where you need nothing in order to play video games. You need nothing. Your TVs 
now have the Netflix app in them so that you don't even need any kind of other thing to plug into plate to use Netflix. That's how it's going to be with video games, with AAA video games, because the controller doesn't have to connect to a box or a, any middleman. It just will connect directly to their server. So you can just pull out the controller and anything that can display a web page will be able to display a AAA video game for you. That I think is is huge. Or any Google Cardboard VR set will be able to have the best graphics VR capability, right? Like it, it if and, and I I realize I'm buying into this. So listeners that are skeptics, yes, I I understand your skepticism. But if we're believing everything we've been told and read uh, from Google and parties that have tested this stuff, I mean, it wouldn't be Google Cardboard per se. But all you need is a headset that somehow generates a little bit better tracking of, of what you're doing and you don't need to have a big hunky computer that's running these graphics to do all this stuff it's just all you need is the display unit and it's, it's like where wires totally disappear is what this technology and xbox's version of it too which they've been less open about to this point but also coming out this year they say what it does in terms of getting rid of wires and cables it's it's a huge it's a titanic shift for the video game industry and I don't even know if I'm willing to go with you on the I understand everybody's skepticism. I understand the skepticism that says Google abandons stuff. I get I got a lot of pushback that on that from people in my mentions uh, over the week that Google abandons technologies. I get that, but I don't think Google is going to be the only player here. Uh, we already saw Phil Spencer uh, had a, um, uh, a a tweet, I guess, this week saying that. Um, Microsoft is going to, you know, it, it heart, they were heartened by what they saw at GDC because they're going to go big at E3 and, and it's basically the same thing. So we're going to see a lot of companies. I think a lot of companies, I think this is the next five to, to 10 years of video games is everybody wants to be the Netflix of video games and who's going to get there first and how is it going to play? Um, so, I, you know, I, I understand the skepticism of Google abandoning tech and, and abandoning products uh, willy nilly. But I don't think they're going to be the only player here, and I, I don't think their tech is going to be. I, I have a feeling that this is going to last a little longer because they have these partnerships. They've got a really good team, Phil Harrison, you know. And then, but other than that, like I kind of don't. Having seen it in action, I'm impressed. And other than I guess data caps, I don't understand the skepticism. Everybody think, thinks it's going to be, you know, unplayable or it's, well, uh, it's all well, fake or whatever. And Chris, I'm curious to know your thoughts on it, but I yeah. think to me, some of the other skepticisms revolve, involve, uh, revolve around um, game ownership, like games disappearing, the way Netflix shows disappear, monetization, uh, how game companies are paid out, how users are expected to pay. Again, Google's track record with both of that stuff has been a little sketchy. How much data tracking is going to be done on this? Um, how invasive well, ton, is this device going tons to be? Tons of data tracking. You don't own anything now. Uh, what was the other one? No, I do, th- I do think that those are valid. I don't mean to hand wipe them away, but Chris, I... I'm so curious from a developer side. I mean, we haven't even talked about the monetization because they right. didn't. Right. But is that something you're nervous about? Uh, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I I, I would like to think that they are going to be uh, looking out for the developers and 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 you know keeping in mind that we need to make these games and we need to to make money to make more games. Uh, so I'm cautiously optimistic about that. Sure, uh, you know we we don't know until we know. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I, until I have a reason not to be optimistic about it, I'm going to think it's going to be for the best for everybody. Um, well, let's, let's do some brazen, uh, speculation because uh, it seems to me that we don't, I mean, we don't have any information about how they're going to charge for this thing, but it seems to me there are two, maybe I'm forgetting something you guys can correct me, but two main ways that you could imagine this would go. One is the pure Netflix model, which says you pay a, a monthly subscription fee and you get everything on the service, right? Uh, that's what Xbox Game Pass is doing right now. That's what the video services do. That's Spotify, right? It basically turns video games into Spotify, which is notoriously bad for the artists, right? It, it, they get pennies for song plays. Uh, the, the amount of money that artists used to make in the 90s and early 2000s when people would go out and pay $17 for a CD, they just don't make anymore because... People just play it on Spotify and they get 15 cents for, you know, 15,000 plays or whatever. So I can understand that being a scary thing for developers, The but but also very, uh, very attractive from an end user standpoint, because if you pay a, a low monthly fee and you get a whole bunch of games, that's pretty cool. And then the other way that I can imagine would be an all cart menu where you like you do now on steam or whatever service you want you go on and you pick the game and you pay sixty dollars or twenty dollars or whatever the price point is and you have that game and you play that game um i think that one feels like it gets in the way of their five seconds between clicking the link and playing the game unless you you know have a credit card saved with stadia and they just charge it instantly and you go but it does feel a little less like the dream that they're expressing, which is, you know, you see something, you're curious about it, and five seconds later, you're playing it. I'm curious, Chris, from your perspective, which of those seems smarter and or if you think there's a third road that I'm not. Yeah, you know, I, I don't see why they couldn't maybe offer both as as possibilities. But uh, hmm. I, I think the the former is the more likely or maybe even maybe there's a way something they're thinking of that we're not, you know, I think like a lot of us were not anticipating what would be said uh, at this particular <laughs> event and we're taken by surprise. So what's to say that there's some other model that, you know, we just haven't thought of yet. Yeah, that's true. That's, you know, I heard, and take this with a grain of salt, but I heard that uh, Google didn't announce it because they hadn't decided yet. Um, but uh, I, he, let me lay out this philosophy. This, this, tell me if this makes any sense uh, for the future, okay? What if it really is like Netflix? Like right now what happens is a developer develops a game. They have a certain amount of money that they, they need to, to, to spend to make that game, which is usually a lot. Uh, but they you know find that money. They make the game. They put it out at a certain price point try to make back the money that they put into it and and additional profit over time. And they can adjust their price based on demand and try to you know make as much money as they possibly can over the lifetime of their game. But what if Google and Microsoft and the other players in this field, in this new paradigm of the Netflixification of video games, really behave like Netflix or Amazon do, or even a, a 
TV studio or movie studio. And what they say is we will give you X million dollars to make a game for our service. And everybody is hired to make that thing knowing how much they are going to make over the course of it. Just like a producer and a director and actors and makeup people and key grips and all the people who go into making a TV show or a movie know how much they're going to make based on the job they just accepted. And they make that much and then that job is over and they leave. And that thing that they were paid to make is put out on Netflix and Netflix uses it to monetize and add value to their service that they make money on. But it's not a product that the developers then try to maximize profits on by changing the value of it, et cetera, et cetera. It is literally just a studio system where Google funds all of the development of games that is on their system and then has that in value on their system. And it, does that is that crazy? Is that something that developers would want? I I think it's entirely possible. Yeah, I, I think that's an, an entirely possible thing. Uh, you know, it, it could be just a flat, you know, give us this amount of money, we'll make the game for you. Or it could be, you know, royalties on top of that, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I, I do think that could happen. Um, you know, I would question, like, you know, is it basically console exclusivity at that point? Like, for example, if if there were something like this from Microsoft or Amazon or whoever, uh, would that game you're talking about, would that just effectively be another way of saying, uh, you know, God of War is only on PlayStation 4, you know, like, yeah, that kind I think of so. Yeah. I mean, but, but the way I, I see it is, is if God of War or, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 or whatever it is, sells 45 million copies, the people who make that game make a tremendous amount of money, right? But 45 million people watched Bird Box and the people who made Bird Box got the money that they got to make Bird Box, right? As far as I know, maybe I do believe... For a lot of games too, and game studios might have a royalty payout for people who worked on it. But my understanding, having not developed a game, but my understanding is, you know, if you were hired to be environmental uh, background artist for a game just because it sells 45 million copies, you're not all of a sudden making $200 million. Like you probably got a, a nice no. bonus, but you no, but you're got de- your salary. The, the, developer, the developer that sold that game would make more money, right? The, well, so would a studio that makes more money for a movie. But not a studio that made Bird Box. I don't know. Yeah, I think that, it really depends on, on deals and you know, it, it, it could go either way really. Right. I mean, I could I could be completely wrong about how Netflix works. I, I don't think I am, but I could be. And I welcome being corrected for people that know more than I. But my my understanding is it doesn't matter how many views you get on Netflix. You got what you got to make the thing. And, and that's that's just the deal that you make with Netflix, because it's not like selling a ticket to a movie screening. You know, if you put a movie out in a movie theater, you can make more money based on how many people go see the movie. But if you put a movie on Netflix, you make, I mean, there, I'm sure there's incentives built into the Netflix contract, but it's not the same as, you know, butts and seats. Anyway, I just think that that's one viable way that this whole industry could be upended by this kind of thing in the same way that the movie industry has been upended by Netflix. It really has. Um, you know, you see that in Steven Spielberg saying Netflix movies shouldn't be 
nominated for Oscars. And it's a, it, we're in a paradigm shift that's uncomfortable for the movie industry. And we're sort of in the, the mid stage of that. And this is the first stage. This is really is the inflection point for it to happen in the video game industry. And I think it's fascinating. I, I don't know how it's all going to play out exactly, but I think it's fascinating. And I think they can have multiple cakes here in multiple scenarios where it's like I'm making up URLs, but like stadia.com and it shows you, let's say they do a subscription service that shows you the games that in the level that you're subscribed to. So I get a bunch of great indies and Ubisoft games. And then if I pay the, you know, if I add HBO, you know, then I'm going to get um, Activision games and I'm also going to get EA games. And if I go all in, you know, and, and yeah. so you won't necessarily be being advertised or yes, you can go to YouTube and watch the stream of any game, but there'll be some HUD that it's like, this is at the all in tier. This is at the this tier or, you know, there's um, I, I think it, I, I envision a world where it won't be too long until there's a subscription service. And then they also allow publishers to put games on for an a la carte purchase and i don't think that goes against google's five seconds to play thing as long as they have some games where you can do that and the fact that you need to enter a credit card to buy a game if you don't want to keep it stored on there i don't think that's like calling bs to their you know advertised thing it's like no 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 have checks don't just let kids buy things on their parents youtube account so you can get five seconds into play um you know have that thing where enter the credit card number before you go that's still pretty magical Chris, let me ask you this question. You've been around a long time like we have. Uh, do you have any pangs of worry about a loss of ownership of physical things, uh, the inability to you know, put an old NES cartridge into an old piece of hardware and just have it work? Are you worried about things becoming ephemeral? Yeah, you're talking about the the skepticism. I don't really have any skepticism about this being a great thing, but I I know I'm going to miss like – uh, the console cycle, you know, like it's, it's exciting when a new system drops, uh, you know, and, and yeah. just the, the hype leading up to it and, and watching the press conferences about what it's going to be and, you know, buying it as soon as you possibly can, uh, <laughs> waiting in line back in the old days, I waited overnight for a PS2. Um, you know, that, that's, that's all exciting. And, uh, but you know, it's, it's objectively easier and probably better to, you know, be able to just call the stuff up, you know? Uh, so I, I don't think the consoles are going to go away for quite some time, but, you know, I, I kept, uh, one thing this really kind of jogged my memory on was like 12 years ago or so we were all talking about, there was like the one console future was like a, a big talk big talking point in this diac baby yeah yeah Yeah. and and i i feel like this is maybe a little bit different than what they were thinking but still kind of the same idea um right and you know if that happens this is obviously the kind of big step toward that for sure yeah and it's going to be interesting to see what their first party offerings are if they're working with a system that is as powerful as it sounds on paper one would imagine that it could really be impressive looking. I mean, I, I, the games, I, I mean, the, the exclusive to this platform could really be significantly more impressive looking. Um, and, you know, we're all going to, I think it's going to happen very, very soon here. They say it's this year that this thing is rolling out. So we'll all be able to try it. And and there's no barrier to entry. There's no, no barrier. What you have right now, works with stadia everything every every person listening to this has the ability to use it which that's a huge 
just the democratization of games. Assuming your Wi-Fi is good. <laughs> I mean, even if your Wi-Fi isn't that good, it sounds like it could probably be fine. You know, I that's a, that's everybody on Twitter that was coming at me and being very angry that I was enthusiastic about this uh, was talking about how you know bad their internet is, and I I feel for that, but like nobody says that about Netflix. Nobody's worried about their Netflix, right? You know, it's the same thing. I think they just expect games to be more demanding because it's sending and receiving and not just receiving. It's constantly talking, whereas Netflix can kind of buffer down. I'm using layman's terms, but buffer down one instance because that movie is always going to be that movie no matter how many times you watch it. I know Bandersnatch and things change that a teensy bit, but a game isn't that, right? A game is a million different ways at a million different times. And so it's constantly talking back and forth in the way that Netflix or Amazon prime video isn't so i think that's where but i think this will be like vr you know it's when people are able to go hands-on with it and hopefully the cost to the 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 cost of entry is very low especially to sell this to people right maybe it launches whatever their pricing model is with assassin's creed is free you know like we believe in this go play this game you can see that it works for you have fun and then and then they get you right like a good drug dealer does (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the idea of it being a two way street and having information sent from you to them is a pretty trivial data point. I think that the amount of data that represents is pretty small. But yeah, I mean, I I am pretty confident, having seen the tech in action, that that they're going to be able to pull this off. And um, I don't know, man. I was I was a holdout as you, as listeners to the show know. I was very much I want my pixels rendered locally. I, I want to have my my machine do it but uh i i really think this is going to change games forever and i really think the next five to ten years of games is going to be all about this stuff um so it was a huge moment it's and it's not often that you can think you know this is maybe the most important video game announcement in a decade or more is it's it's that huge and they're not going to be the only ones doing it. Microsoft is going to have a very similar announcement at E3, I think, and we're going to see more companies jumping in. I, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon has a solution that's similar and um, and other players that you wouldn't necessarily even think of as video game companies would want to do this because everybody wants that Netflix money. Um, and uh, and I think that competition and that ease of use and the, the desire to make games accessible and truly democratize where – it's platform agnostic. It doesn't care about what device you're using it on um, is, is a win. It's a win for gamers. So, all right. We've talked about that a lot. Uh, I need to thank our sponsor third love. And I'm so excited to be sponsored by third love. I I don't, I don't think I'm as excited as my wife is that we are sponsored by third love because she didn't know about third love before we started getting sponsored by third love and now she is, she is, she can't stop talking about it. She's like, Oh my God, Jeff, I love the bras at third love are amazing. Third love makes bras. So if you're in the market for a bra, if you know someone who's in the market for a bra, you need to tell them about this because it has won me so many points with my wife. She has ordered now, I think three or four bras from third love and is excited to order even more. Uh, she says they fit better than any bra she's ever had. They're more comfortable than any bra she's ever had. She says the best bra I've ever had. I was like, honey, will you come on the show and say that? Because people don't believe me when I say it. She's like, 
uh, I got things to do. <laughs> so maybe I'll get her on uh, in a future episode to uh, talk about it. But um, I will just have to relay honestly what she said. She doesn't care about <laughs> she doesn't care about uh, a sponsorship. All she cares about is telling me how amazing the bras are, and I'm just so delighted that I could be the one that brought it to her attention. So here's the thing with with Third Love. They're they're different than other bra manufacturers. They they actually created new bra sizes. Third Love has over 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. Most bra manufacturers don't even have half cup sizes, and they make it easy quick and actually fun to find your perfect fit. They have this thing called the fit finder quiz, which over 12 million women have taken to date. And, uh, it, it determines what your perfect fit is very, very quickly. They use data points generated by these 12 million women and they design bras to actually fit women better than ever before. But even if you're worried about it not being to your liking, they have a 100% fit guarantee. So every customer who gets a third love bra has 60 days to wear it, wash it, put it to the test. If you don't love it, you return it and third love washes it and donates it to a woman in need. How cool is that? And they have a team of what they call fit stylists that are uh, dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. They are available every day via text, chat, or phone. Uh, and, uh, the returns and exchanges are free and easy, but like my wife who has not had a single return or exchange, you are probably going to find these are very comfortable. They, they say the most comfortable bra you'll own. That's what my wife's experience has been as well. Incredibly soft, smooth, breathable, uh, super thin, lightweight memory foam cups. Uh, these are proprietary to third love. It's just I mean, I don't know. I haven't worn them. I can only tell you what my wife has told me and she loves them. So third love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash DLC now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash DLC for 15% off today. T-H-I-R-D-L-O-V-E.com slash DLC. As for my story of the week, uh, man, there's a lot to choose from. There's so many things. I mean, retro games, cast, uh, Konami's anniversary collections are, are being announced. Uh, Nintendo had their ni- uh, 2019 Nindies showcase without a ton of really exciting games. They're I'm allowing one. The- what? I said I'm playing one. Well, we'll talk about that uh, very <laughs> soon. Uh, they're allowing the uh, the um, Crypt-, Crypt of the Necro Dancer team to have the keys to the castle the the hyrule castle uh and make a game set in the zelda universe that's pretty crazy cuphead is coming to switch um lots of great stuff but i gotta talk about uh, vr and i'm gonna talk a lot more about vr in the vr segment this week because i got a ton of hands-on with vr stuff or face-on with vr stuff at gdc but uh the big news from gdc is that the oculus rift s was announced, which is an upgrade to the Oculus Rift. Uh, it improves in some subtle but very significant ways. Uh, this is a $400 device that will be coming out in spring, so very soon. Uh, it changes the display. It ups the um, the, the pixel density. It, reduce, it has new lenses that will reduce 
The God rays, which a lot of people complain about with the Rift, I have to admit, are quite distracting when you see um, very bright color against a black background, like like white text on a black background. It'll have this kind of uh, distracting uh, lighting effect that looks like, you know, light coming through clouds, sunlight coming through clouds, where it's like a, a stream of light. Um, that has been eliminated with these new lenses, which is pretty cool. It has inside out tracking. So you no longer need to have the external sensors that the rift required. Uh, so you'll be able to have full 360 degree tracking, just using the built-in cameras on the headset, which is pretty cool. It goes from requiring, uh, multiple USB ports to requiring a single USB port and a single display port. So that's a convenient thing has redesigned touch controllers and uh, a whole bunch of new games coming out. And this is, uh, oh, and, and I would say even most importantly, they redesigned how it sits on your head and they teamed with Lenovo who helped design the PSVR halo ring, the sort of headband ring that the PSVR uh, uses, which I think is the most comfortable headset on the market. And they're basically using the same tech. So it is a much more comfortable headset. Um, and this is going to be coming out alongside their Quest, which is the fully standalone, does not need to be tethered at all. Um, and those will both be kind of coming out around the same time. Chris, what do you think about this? Is I mean, VR is is not as uh, exciting, a, not as, as talked about a tech as it, as it was at launch. People, I think, um, have lost some interest. But is this enough to rekindle... Any interest or what What do you make of it? Uh, I, I think it sounds awesome. Any like advancement in this particular tech is something I'm certainly interested in. Personally, I've got about 30 to 40 PlayStation VR games. I still haven't, uh, <laughs> still haven't touched that I need to. Uh, so I, I'm probably going to personally wait a bit, but um, you know, I, I'm certainly excited that this particular technology is advancing. Um, and I I love VR for whenever I do play it. It's, 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 it's amazing. Yeah. I, I had a chance to try these. Uh, Christian, let me get your take before I tell you what my, my face on impressions were, but um, what do you think? What, what, what's your take on S? It, it feels like an S, you know, the way Apple does with their iPhones, right? Like it's better, but not like, blowing you away with the old Magnavox tape commercials where the guy's like sitting in the chair, just getting his the wind blown through his face. Um, it feels like in that style of upgrade. I think for me and seeing, I teased this or said this when we're talking about Stadia, seeing those possibilities and something like the quest that is wires free. Like I want a quest that doesn't sacrifice on the games it can play. And I know I'm being very greedy, <laughs> but to me, that's when VR is really going to take off and shine. It's when I can put on a headset anywhere. I love that the S you know, has inside out tracking. So I don't need sensor set up. You don't need to drill things into your wall, you know, to get that 360 coverage. I love all the improvements that it's making for me personally. It's not doing enough to make me want to buy it and upgrade it, especially since it, they said that my current rift will play all of the games, right? It's not a generational leap between the two in terms of the, the experiences I can play. Um, but it looks like it's a great quality of life improvement that if this had launched at the same time, you know, as the other one, clearly this is the better version, even with like the OLED screen difference or whatever, like everything about the S seems better to me. It's just not enough to make me, you know, pony up cash at this point. Well, it, they would never say that 
the old Rift games wouldn't be able to work on this new Rift because because <clears throat> it's basically a, a computer monitor, right? It's a display. So it's not like we came out with new monitors and none of the games that played on your old monitor will work on this new monitor. It's uh, it has nothing to do with that, right? It's just a display. Uh, the reason that quest games don't, you know, don't play rift games is because it's not just a display. It's a full computer that you wear on your face uh, and it's not tethered to your PC. So that makes sense. Uh, but it is an, you know, an improvement in a, in a better display. Um, I am torn, right? I was very excited about Quest. I had a finally had a chance to try it at GDC, and I played uh, one of my favorite games, Beat Saber. Got very, very sweaty in their press room, and I was very embarrassed. I was like, I'm sorry. This is just how I play Beat Saber. <laughs> I'm really sorry. You guys have a towel. Um, but uh, I was very impressed with the Quest. It is, uh, it's, it's pretty cool that it, does what it does without having to, to touch a computer. You know, you just put it on, you're just in a space and you go. I don't think I'm going to get one. I think I am going to get the S because I want to be able to play all the best stuff. And I can with my Rift currently, but it, the S is an improvement. And the biggest improvement in the S, having tried it myself also, is the comfort. It's a quantum leap. Well, quantum is a small thing. It's a massive in- improvement in co- in comfort. It is. It, it is. It, you notice it immediately. It's something you can wear for long periods of time. It, the weight isn't distributed on your nose. It's it's how the PlayStation VR is, and I love that. It feels so good. The display itself. It's interesting. I went right from the S to the Quest, so I noticed the step down. Having put the S on first, when I hadn't done any other headsets that day, I was like, I don't don't see a huge bump up from the Rift. But then I stepped down to the Quest. And I was like, oh, this must be how the Rift is. And I definitely see a, a much more pronounced screen door than the S had. So it, it does have an improvement there. Uh, I didn't notice it as much as I noticed the improvement in the Vive Pro, which I think really eliminates the screen door. Um, and... It uh, it's great not having the cameras. That's fantastic. I'm super disappointed the S doesn't seem to support the virtual link, which is on all the new NVIDIA cards. It's supposed to be a, it's a port specifically for VR, and this new VR headset doesn't support it, although they hinted at some sort of adapter, which would be nice. So you don't have to worry about a USB port being free and a display port being free. Um, but it's it's nice, man. The S is nice for 400 bucks. And the the Rift current Rift is three fifty. It's it's significantly more comfortable, significantly easier to put on and take off and wear for long periods of time, uh, and it looks great. Whereas the Quest, you know, it still has those Velcro straps on the side, which I never liked. Uh, I think it, the Quest has a higher pixel density. I don't think that's true. I could be wrong, but I don't think I'm looking at an an IGN article right now that talks about it It says that the quest is 1440 by 1600 and the rift S is 1280 by by 1440. Yeah. I wonder if it's just the graphical power is the difference that you're noticing between the two headsets. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Uh, it's possible. Um, it, it, It certainly plays games that are much more simplistic looking, which is by necessity, right? It's playing, it's using what is basically a mobile 
graphics chip um, as opposed to, you know, a big beefy card from your PC. Uh, and the games are very good, but they're, but I played a bunch of new games that are coming out like Asgard's Wrath and uh, Stormland, and neither of those is going to be available for Quest, right? Because they're pushing the, the thing right. with limits, you know? Lone Echo 2 is not going to be available for Quest. And I think the mandate from Oculus Studios going forward is that you design for Quest and then bump up for Rift um, so that it'll work on Quest, and then you have, like, graphics options that kick in to make it more sophisticated on, on Rift. But And that's a bit of a bummer. But uh, that's going forward, right? That's not the games that are on the horizon now. That's games that are just starting to be developed. So, uh, you know, I, I love the freedom of no wires, but I don't – and I, I can imagine myself, like, bringing it out to the living room to play some Beat Saber or, you know, a friend comes over and they don't have to come into my office to get, you know, wired into the headset if they want to try it out. I can just, like, pull it out of my backpack somewhere and try it. That's all cool, but – I, I don't want to give up on some of the premium experiences. So I'm torn. It's tough because they're the same price. Um, it, it, it isn't like the easy thing, right? Where it's like, oh, this is the the step down. This is this one. It's like they're, I think they're both compelling for very different reasons. Yeah. But it's hard to justify for me both. And I, and I think it's, I don't know if one makes a more compelling argument because you have, the, a, a pretty good tethered experience already, Jeff, you know? So like, is the game changer for you going to be putting it in your backpack and literally converting people, <laughs> you know, like yeah. put this on your face, go buy one, put this on your face, go buy one. It's a, uh, it might be, cool. I mean, that's, that's a pretty compelling argument in and of itself. But I, for me, I, I like the idea that I can game for hours and not have any discomfort and not feel that weight on my nose. Not, you know, not yeah. feel, that's a big deal. You know, this, the PlayStation VR is vastly superior in that regard. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's move on now. I mean, there's so much news that uh, inevitably a lot is being left behind as we move on. But there's also a lot of games to talk about. And so let's dive into our playlist. Ooh, you playing this week? Tell us. Ooh, you playing this week? Tell us on the Chris, uh, I am excited to hear about the games on your playlist. Where would you like to start? Uh, well, other than my own game, Operencia, uh, I've been playing Ape Out, and thank you so much for basically demanding I buy it on your show, what, two or three weeks ago, <laughs> whenever it was. Because, uh, yeah, y- your recommendation, plus uh, my friends at the uh, Player One podcast were also uh, really enjoying it, and I, I kind of stayed away from like looking at imagery of what the game was and just kind of going off of uh, how you guys were describing it. And I, I love it. it it's, I, I, it's such like a simple looking game. It's such a simple playing game, but it's yeah. just like, it, it just feels so great. And it does so much with, with the uh, symbols, <laughs> you know, not, not, yeah, not the instrument on a drum. Uh, I, I, yeah, it, it, the way it, it, it like adapts to your gameplay w- with that music, like, uh, you know, I, I played on a plane for a little bit and I, I didn't have headphones. So I had to, to turn it down. And I was like, man, what am I, should I even be doing this right now? Because <laughs> it just feels dirty to not play with the music. Uh, it's so good. It, it kind of, it almost reminds me in a weird way of Pac-Man. 
you know yeah that's what i said yeah too. is it yeah, yeah like uh it, you, you go through like kind of the maze and and you're you're avoiding things and but you still have power yes. so yeah it, it kind of scratches that pac-man itch in a, in a much more violent and rampagey way you know? and it sort of has the purity of a pac-man yeah. it feels like a it feels like a, a an arcade game done by an artist, you know, like a pure artful take on on that kind of immediate arcade experience. Uh, and you're right. I think that screenshots and even video don't really do it justice because so much of the experience is that mania of when you're playing it. You feel manic. You feel threatened. You feel like a caged animal that's broken out. And that's that experience is communicated through the music and the sound, but also through, you know, your relative power to the things around you and how quickly you can strike and how, how uh, abrasive and, and uh, immediate and fast the, uh, the violence happens and then stops, you know, it's so, so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm like on the, third i think there's four discs or something that you play through i'm on the third one and yeah you know what i really love is just like some levels you just like go for it you know you just power your way through it and and like that's the best way to do it but some like you know they turn the lights off and and you got to get all stealthy and i was not expecting that at all uh it, it it takes what you feel is like a very simple concept and just makes a lot more out of it so that's what i i really love about that game yeah, I mean, it is it is my game of the year so far. Yeah. It is uh, it's extraordinary, and uh, one I will reiterate by saying people should just buy. It's fifteen bucks. It's one of those things you can just blind buy, and I I really think that anybody listening to this will appreciate it, if not love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the kind of huge game I guess of recent weeks I'm playing now is Devil May Cry Five. I'm not very far mm-hmm. into it. I don't know what I can say that you guys you guys got. Re- really into it last week uh other than just like i've i've realized i don't know that i've played another game six games deep and like played through every single one of them you know i haven't played through this one yet but i will uh and i i realize devil may cry is like uh, I, i love it but i've never really thought of it like one of my absolute favorite franchises, but it, it is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> I've come to that realization that it is, it, you know, day, when I worked on, I, I got my industry start at the official PlayStation magazine and I reviewed the first two games for them. And, and uh, the first one was a five out of five. The second one was a three out of five. It was a big step down, but uh, you know, that the, <laughs> the first one was, is, is, is one of my all time favorite games. And, you know, Anytime anything Devil May Cry comes out, it always gets my attention. So definitely has it now. And uh, I'll be playing through more of that in the coming weeks. Uh, I was also playing. It's like the, it's like the uh, the 80s romantic comedy where it's the it's the best friend that was always yes. there. And you, you, yes. you turn around and you went, I love you. Yes. I've always loved I, you. I just didn't realize it until right now. I've never thought of Devil May Cry in rom-com terms, but here we are. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, so what, what – um, what, did you like DMC? Oh, I loved and, it. And- I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I love that game. And I, I, yeah, I, I feel like it got a bad rap from the beginning just because his hair was black. I really do. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, choice at the time. I know. And, and spoiler alert, you know, I had a feeling it would be white by the end of the game and it was. So, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's, 
it's unfortunate that that didn't go through. I, I'd almost like to see like two DMC universes, you know, like uh, somehow continue that one. Uh, maybe yeah. they do their own spider verse kind of thing at some point. <laughs> yeah. It would right. fit. I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you're, you're, uh, you're digging this one. Is, is there any particular thing? I mean, other than your, you know, your, your rediscovered love of the franchise, is there anything in particular that this one does that, uh, you're glad the series returned to or that you are appreciating in a new way? Um, I would say I've not played enough to say that yet, but uh, yeah, I'm still on the first guy and uh, I've beaten the, I think the first big boss there is. Uh, so I, I'm not like super far into it, but you know, it definitely feels like Devil May Cry. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, I'm not even Dante yet, who, who is still my favorite of the, uh, anyone I've ever played as in that game. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I can't wait to play more of it. It's beautiful. It's just, uh, you know, it's everything I I would have hoped it would be. And I kind of wish it were somehow incorporating the previous one and not totally wiping it from existence, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know, all right, so what else are you playing? Uh, I got into the Messenger as well. That's one I'm kind of. I know it's kind of old, but uh, I've, I've I really appreciate its sense of humor and it, you know, mixed in with Ninja Gaiden gameplay, which you know is one of my all time favorite NES games for sure. So, so that one's great. Um, I'm also uh, on, on, as a kind of a side hobby, I have my own YouTube channel about uh, superhero video games. Um, and, uh, for Batman's 30th anniversary in three months, yes, it's 30 years old in three months. Uh, I have decided I'm going to play through all of the Batman movie games based on that first movie. Uh, Oh, this is the 30th anniversary of the Tim Burton, Tim Burton, Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a huge cultural, uh, point for me in my life. Uh, you know, like that, it, I had always been like a fan of superheroes, but that one like really got me into it. 30 years, man, I'm old. That was the movie that, uh, this is probably uninteresting to most, but this, that was the movie that made me realize I needed glasses. As a <laughs> Cause I let my mom picked me up from the movies after I saw it. And, or I guess she saw it with me and we were leaving and she goes, what did you think of it? And I said, it was great. Except the end, it was all it was, I couldn't tell what was going on. It was too dark in the, like in the clock tower, you know, they're going to the couldn't see anything. She's like, what? We're taking you to the eye doctor. And, uh, that's when I needed glasses. And from then on, I, I lived, uh, the nerd life in, in, you know, in look as well as disposition. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's my nerd origin story in a lot of ways. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it totally got me into reading comics, especially Batman at the time. And, um, you know, it was just, I, it's like a real you had to be there kind of pop culture moment, I think, uh, you know, the I think the only things that come close would be Star Wars episodes one and seven. But that was like a totally different thing, too, because Batman kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, everybody knew what Batman was, but there was just this like hype machine for months that is kind of, I don't even think you could do anything quite like it today just because of the way media was back then, you know, everything is merchandised now and branded and you launch a game with a movie and a comic book and a TV show deal. Like it just, we were still in the infancy of that. Like star Wars was everywhere. And certainly there were, you know, Saturday morning cartoons were meant to sell toys, but the way that this was Batman doing it and the toys and the licensing and the Jack Nicholson taking a lower rate in order to get a cut on percentage of toy. And like, it was, 
here we go, <laughs> you know, and it, it, we haven't looked back. Yeah. Yeah. So basically there's six distinct uh, Batman movie games that were released uh, and I'm going to play through them all and, and basically rank my favorites. Uh, there's even like seven. If you want to count the tiger handheld electronics game. Oh my, which uh, <laughs> you're hardcore. And this is before licensed games were good. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of stinkers in here. If I'm not yeah. mistaken. Oh, oh, there would be, although the, you know, the NES Batman game, a lot of people said it was the best uh, Batman game until Arkham. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but it is very good. It's a very good game. It's not a very good representation of Batman in any way. Uh, the Genesis one is is, is pretty decent. Uh, and then, you know, there's a weird turbo graphics one that only came out in Japan and, you know, like so, some other ones too. But yeah, I, I, I'm going to go through all those games and uh, awesome. at, at superhero.vg is the quick way to get to my YouTube channel called are Superhero you, Video you- Games. Are you playing them through emulation or are you playing them on original hardware? Uh, whenever I can, I'm going to play original hardware. I'll do that definitely for NES, Genesis. Uh, you know, I, I can't do it. I'm going to have to emulate like the arcade game and the, you know, right. the, I don't think I have a PC that would actually run it. So I'll need to, <laughs> you know, play that through the web archive, the internet archive. It's awesome. Luckily, a lot, a lot of that's there. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing through all those and I'm just going to scratch the surface on that, but. It's kind of a fun, fun side project I have over the next few months to do. That's rad. I can't wait to read or see more about that. Uh, Christian, you said you teased that you were playing already one of the Nindies, which is a portmanteau. Uh, what, which one are you playing, bro? And it works perfect with the Batman games too, because it's another Sunsoft joint. Um, and they there made the NES Batman. I remember reading about that. I think it was in Game Pro where it was like his cape flows while he runs and i was like i need what? to own amazing yeah i need cape to own Real this game uh, i'm playing blaster master zero two um i attribute this to having just finished console wars which i raved about uh, as a parting gift at last week's episode um and kind of setting me off on that retro itch again blaster master zero two was announced in stealth drop during their nindy's press conference uh last week and it is a sequel to their remake of the nes game blaster master so i actually did not play blaster master zero which i heard was excellent um i had played blaster master og back when i was a youngster and then this one caught my eye and having not played blaster master zero uh i think kotaku had an article praising this one it's 10 bucks on the eShop. i had that retro itch going from console wars and i took the plunge and maybe an hour in 90 minutes something like that i've heard it's like 7 to 12 depending on how completionist you want to be or i hear there's like the blaster master zero a good ending and bad ending so somewhere in that range but i'm, I'm working my way through it it's phenomenal it uh, it's hard to for it feels weird for me to praise having not played blaster master zero because i heard it was phenomenal too but it is Blaster Master Zero Two is a Metroidvania where you are splitting your time between 2D side-scrolling classic, you know, what you would picture Metroidvania or as Chris mentioned, the Messenger-style game where you're platforming, action platforming, double-jumping, exploring this 2D universe, or you can get out of your little tank at any time as Jason and sometimes on those 2D levels, then you can sneak under a a small opening and get some power-ups or some health or you go in and you do dungeon crawling 
uh, outside of your tank. And it's this top down kind of isometric. It feels like toe jam and Earl, like picture that view as you're dungeon crawling and um, blasting your way through dungeons, bosses, and you're getting collectibles for your ship, upgrades for your ship, maps for the area so you can go find other collectibles and upgrades. Um, it has a cute little narrative I don't necessarily want to spoil, especially if you want to play Blaster Master Zero, because this game continues right after that. It gives you a little like previously on, so you can, I got up to speed quickly. Um, but so there's nice little reasons to be doing the things you're doing and the way it mixes those two styles of gameplay is really fun and, and it controls really well. I feel like I'm never in either mode for too long where it overstays its welcome. We're like, oh, I just want to get back in my tank and do some tank wall jumping or, you know, whatever I was doing. Or um, they gave Jason, he has a, it's like a parry move. Uh, this game that I believe Blaster Master Zero did not have which um, allows you to kind of dodge and freeze enemies, um, but it uses your SP gauge, so it's not unlimited, um, but it's super helpful against some of the, the bosses and some of the more projectile-heavy spamming bosses. And then what I think is really cool about it, and I looked this up to make sure it wasn't in Blaster Master Zero, because I didn't remember this in Blaster Master from way back when, is that when you're in your tank... Um, in Blaster Master Zero, you had to collect power-ups, basically, to use your missiles and to use your secondary ammo, secondary weapons. You had to collect ammo. And what this game has, Blaster Master Zero 2, is a Gaia system, which is, if you f- take, instead of taking fall damage, when you fall off of high places down back, back down to the ground, your little tank, there's like this nice, satisfying green energy absorption that happens, and that powers up your SP gauge. So it really changes how you go into some enemy encounters because it allows you to be a little more aggressive because you you have there's a way for you to refill your secondary your auxiliary fire just by playing the experience so you're like you'll double jump up hover wall jump and then smash back down you can see it build up if you push it too far though and use too much of your sp gauge it will run all the way out and then you have to wait for it to slowly build up and you won't be able to drop to use it but it feels like as weird as this analogy might sound it feels like what doom 2016 did and how it changed combat encounters where instead of hiding behind a crate to wait for your health to slowly restore it encouraged you to run toward enemies because that's what your health and ammo are going to be. And this similarly changes the idea of hunting around trying to find ammo missiles or whatever and lets you just fly through encounters knowing that you can always refill that at a moment's notice at least a little bit. It's really fun and really dynamic. It definitely looks like you know a modern 8-bit game. This isn't Ori in the Blind Forest by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it feels like a perfect sequel to an NES game coming out today, and it, and it controls brilliantly on Switch. I'm absolutely loving it. Um, so if you have that nostalgia itch going as well, I think Blaster Master Zero accomplishes everything it sets out to do. It's it's really, really incredible. I hear there is a couple of big uh, difficulty spikes along the way, but I'm not there yet. Either that or I'm too good. Uh, I, I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Awesome. Nice. Well, uh, I played a ton of stuff at GDC that I'd love to talk about. Um, probably too many things to get to it all, so I'll cherry pick my favorites. I want to start with Journey to the Savage Planet. 
uh, because that's a game that got a reveal teaser trailer at the Game Awards this year. I hadn't heard about it before that. I don't think anybody had. Uh, it's from a new developer, new studio uh, that was made um, by a bunch of developers that came from that, that have major AAA pedigree. The guys that worked on Army of Two and Far Cry and uh, Call of Duty games or Battlefield games, one of the two. Um, these are guys that have been working in the industry for a long, long time, and they ended up deciding that they wanted to strike out on their own and create something a little different from the stuff that they'd been making their whole careers. And the result is Journey to the Savage Planet, which they describe as a positive exploration game, which I just, I love the messaging around this game. I fell in love with this game when I saw it at GDC. I saw an extended gameplay session. I didn't have hands on myself, but I watched it being played in front of me. Um, and I, I'm I am so on board with this game. It, it is they're trying to create a positive experience. Uh, it, it very much has similar DNA to something like uh, No Man's Sky, uh, although it is a completely bespoke world. It is a world created by the developers. In fact, I asked them about it, and one of the developers had worked uh, extensively on Spore the old Maxis game that, that really kind of ushered in the era of algorithmic infinite content. Uh, And he talked about how, you know, I've worked on games like that where they just have infinite algorithmic content. We're not interested in that. He said, when you make, uh, you know, when you make infinite stuff, what you get is infinite soup. (laughs) We're, we're created, we're interesting and created. We're interested in creating uh, something more special, something where when you, look around a corner or something, somebody put something there for you to discover. And that's so speaking my language. I mean, that's exactly what I'm looking for is a world created by artists uh, with an intention. And uh, this game really, it's about you, you going to a planet, you're hired by the fourth most successful space exploration company. And the, there's a, it's surrounded with humor. The game is a, a comedy and uh, has a lot of live action video elements, uh, sort of an infomercial aesthetic where they kind of tell you about why you're there and what you're doing. And you're exploring all these different biomes and collecting new technologies uh, and, and harvesting animals and creatures that you find there and exploiting them to create new things like um, goo that lets you bounce higher by spraying it on the ground or um, – a uh, sort of an organic grappling hook thing that you'll get and all kinds of tech. It kind of reminds me a little bit of something like a Metroid prime where you have to get new tech to get to new areas, to explore new things, to get to new tech, to get to new areas. Um, But they're trying to de-emphasize murdering everything, de-emphasizing shooting. There is a laser pistol and there are things to shoot, but uh, it's more about, you know, finding things and exploring this Island. I just loved the ethos of these guys who all sort of created the most, uh, bro-y games you can imagine in their history. And then decided they wanted to create something a little more positive and a little more wholesome and a little more, um, um, lighthearted, you know, it's, it's just a, a wonderful thing. And the game has so much, character it has a great art style of it's almost a cartoony art style and uh i i just was completely taken with journey to the savage planet i can't wait to play more of it 
a couple other, you know, um, GDC is all about indie games and at least from my perspective, there's a lot of AAA on display there as well, but uh, there's nothing that shines a better light on indie than GDC does. And with the uh, indie mega booth that we talked about with, um, with Kelly Wallach last week and so many other things. I mean, there's a, there's a amazing thing at GDC called alt control GDC, which is all about people showing weird and wacky ways to control video games. Uh, there was a game there called hell couch, the couch co-op game where the controller is a couch and you are literally sitting in different spots on the couch to control the game. Uh, I saw a game where you shovel literal coal into a literal bucket in order to make a train go down a track. I mean, people were literally shoveling actual fake coal, like physical pieces of fake coal into a bucket. And it measures how much you have shoveled in to make the train go uh, and all kinds of stuff in between. I mean, wild and wacky inputs galore. Did you see just, guitar wizards? That one stood out to me a bit. Yes. Yes. Uh, you, you saw that uh, you went to that area as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually the hell couch was the first one I thought of. And it's funny. You mentioned that first. Um, it's just a brilliant idea. Somebody's like, let's yeah. make a couch co-op game with an actual couch. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, you really have to see just how big these things are and impractical, but, but they're cool to look at. Okay, dear listener, it's just us now. <laughs> we've had one of those weeks. Uh, we've had some very unfortunate technical issues that are causing massive problems to our recording. And um, so I am recording this by myself. I wanted to tell you about some other stuff that I have seen this week. Uh, and I couldn't get Christian or Chris on. They'll be back at the end of the show to give their parting gifts. We did record those, but um, I wanted to continue talking about some of the games that I've been playing this week, including a couple of really awesome indie games that I played at GDC. Uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff there. I could go on for hours about all the great indie titles I saw, but uh, two that stood out to me. One is called Airborne Kingdom, which is basically a city builder game but done with flying flying contraptions, flying cities, cities with giant propellers. It's sort of a steampunk aesthetic, and you're flying over these craggy, uh, desolate areas, and, and all the society has had to go into the skies to survive. Uh, but it's a city builder in the sense that you're getting resources and you're building on and you're creating these crazy sky contraptions, which are built from components that you attach on the sides when you have enough resources to do so. And it, the aesthetic is just so up my alley. I mean, I love that steampunk thing. I love city builders. I love this idea of a city that moves. So you're literally moving through uh, areas uh, of a map to or, in order to get closer to resources. Um, the game is not close to release yet. Uh, so I think a lot of it will change, but I'm already very, very excited for Airborne Kingdoms. I wanted to highlight it for you to put on your radars as well if you're into games like that because uh, I'm always in love with a good city builder, a good strategy game like that. And this is one that has a look and feel that is so unique and different, such a clever concept to combine uh, that kind of thing with a non-static area. You know, city builders by definition are these these static things that don't move because you're building buildings. But to put them on, have you know, put them in the sky with giant propellers and wings very, very cool. So that's Airborne Kingdom. Uh, another game that stuck out to me that I saw at the Indie Mega Booth 
that I'm very excited for is called Looking for Heels. Uh, and if you're like me, who often picks healer classes in MMOs, I tend to, to be the priest or the uh, cleric uh, and uh, heal my teammates. I enjoy that mechanic in multiplayer games. Uh, but it's often a very thankless task, as you know, if you do that, uh, or, or a pressure-filled task. And you often don't get the glory that the cool DPS classes or tank classes do when taking down big monsters. You're just there making sure everybody stays alive long enough to do all the cool stuff. Well, uh, there is an indie game called Looking for Heals that wants to put the healer center stage and make the healer the coolest member of the party. In fact, the only member that you control. This is a uh, a 2D sort of um, uh, retro-looking game, but a very, very cool aesthetic. And you play as the healer, and you have a bunch of uh, you know DPS and tank characters that you control, sort of Pikmin style. Uh, they're they're not controlled by other humans. They're controlled by you. You tell them who who to attack, where to go, who to kill. And your job is to keep them alive as they do so. And uh, I just love the idea here being that, you know, there should be an adventure where the healer is the hero, is the main character. And this is the one that does it. And so you have uh, certain skills that you can fire off that heal your party. And you got to, you know, make sure they don't get in over their head too far and stand in fire and do stupid things that humans often do in MMOs. Uh, but this is much more of an action side scroll. It almost looks like a Castle Crashers type game, uh, but with a party that you're controlling and telling them where to go and who to smack as you keep them topped off and healed up. Uh, so Looking for Heals has me very excited to play more of that as well. All right. I, like I said, dozens and dozens more games. Those were two of the top shelf ones. But I do want to also talk about some VR stuff, so let's do a little bit of solo style, Jeff, without any co-hosts. <laughs> because, let's be honest, it's basically solo me anyway in VR talk. Let's do some VR talk. But first, we have to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Oh, I've been talking about Squarespace for over a decade now because I love it. I've been using it for over a decade. JeffCanada.com was built on Squarespace. I tell my friends and family when they need a website, and everybody needs a website it's sooner or later, Right. Website, it's ubiquitous. If you need to showcase your work or blog or publish content, if you need to sell something, any kind of business, small or large, is going to need a website. If you have an upcoming event or a special project, anything you might need for, for a, a, a web presence, go to Squarespace. Don't pay somebody a, a boatload of money to make a website for you. You can make it yourself. You can do it yourself because Squarespace tools are so easy. You can just Drag and drop. Just make the website. Use their start with their templates and then make it your own. Make it beautiful. So easy. I, I can't even tell you. It's the greatest. And you don't even have to take my word for it because they'll let you use their tools without even giving them a credit card. You just go there, you build the site, make it what you like before you even let them have the opportunity to charge you. You can make the website look how you want it to look. Uh, and then when you're ready to check out, you go to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, you get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code Jeff sent me, J E F F S E N T M E. Save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. This is the, this is the way you want it to be. They got search engine optimization. They got free and secure hosting. There's never anything to patch or upgrade. They'd handle all of it for you. It's the easiest squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. 
promo code Jeff sent me at checkout. Get yourself 10% off. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and DLC for so many years. It's great. All right. Uh, VR was uh, a big part of GDC for me. I had many meetings to check out new VR headsets. I already talked about the Oculus S and the Oculus Quest that I got to try for the first time. I tried room scale VR of various kinds at GDC with companies that were showing interesting, cool uh, sort of arcade solutions where you could go in and put on backpacks and run around in big areas. That was a blast. But I want to talk about some of the best titles that uh, you will be able to play at home and I will be able to play at home when they are finally released. Uh, And by far the one I was taken most with is a game called Falcon Age. Now, listeners to the show will remember me going absolutely gaga for a PSVR exclusive called Dino Frontier, which is a uh, sort of a god game strategy game where you're controlling little characters in the old west but this old west also has dinosaurs it was an awesome awesome game so much heart i still highly recommend it if you have playstation vr you owe it to yourself to try dino frontier and the team behind that game is now part of a new studio and they're making a game called falcon age and i got a chance to play it for the first time and i am i am equally in love i think this team is so special uh, the games that they make are so unique and so heartfelt and joyous in a way that few few companies seem to manage to find. And who among us hasn't wanted to be a falconer at some point in your life? As soon as you find out falconry is a thing, you go, man, that'd be rad. You wear a big, cool glove and a falcon lands on it, and then you hand it something and it goes and does something. Falconry, yes! I want to be a falconer. So why hasn't the magical medium of video games allowed me to be a falconer in more games. I can't even remember a game where I'm a falconer. I mean, there's a character in Heroes of the Storm that uses a falcon, but I can't, I, there's, there's not been like a main character falconer in a game, unless I'm forgetting one. Maybe you guys know. Maybe I'll get a bunch of emails about the falconry games I'm not aware of. But regardless, there's never been a falconry game in VR. And Falcon Age can be played without VR can it is going to be available on PlayStation as a two-dimensional game traditional game but who would want that when you can literally reach your arm out and have a falcon land on it and look him in the eye and hold bring him up close to you and move your arm around and he sort of dances with you and you can get little clothing and little hats for him and you literally pluck them out of your inventory in VR and place them on his head now he's wearing a little top hat. Yeah, that's the kind of falconry I want. Uh, this game is delightful. A uh, pseudo open, well, not really open world. I guess it's more structured than that, but it's sort of, a, it kind of feels a little bit like Borderlands-y. Uh, it's got a, a, a sort of a, a cell-shaded-ish look to it. Uh, really, really pretty game. And the Falcon looks great. And you have, there's two versions of the Falcon that I saw. There's like a full-grown Falcon and you can have a baby Falcon. So cool. Um, And you have this Falcon. You can tell it to attack things. You can tell it to uh, do stuff for you, like uh, unlock doors or stuff. You know, he can help you with environmental obstacles. And you also have this sort of electric whip in your hand. 
And between the Falcon and yourself, you will be attacking enemies and defending the Falcon and saving the Falcon. The Falcon can get into trouble. I don't think the Falcon can die, which is very good because I would be very sad. But the Falcon can be disabled, can go down. And when the Falcon needs health, you have to feed it food or pet it. And you're doing all that physically in VR because you're just reaching out and giving it food, reaching out, petting its back. Awesome. And even better than that, when he gets really into trouble, like it gets shot by the enemy robots. There's a bunch of robots in the world that are that are attacking you and your Falcon and you have to beat them over the head with your, your electric baton or whip them with your electric whip. But while they're attacking your poor Falcon, you literally bring your hand to your mouth to whistle for it. Whip, whip, you know, I, that's not how a whistle sounds, but what you get what I'm saying. Uh, you bring your fingers to your lips. The Falcon comes to you. You hold your arm out. It lands and you see it. And it's got all these projectiles stuck in its back. These like needles things that the bad robots have been shooting at it. And you have to pluck them out. It is such a compelling, beautiful, emotional thing to put into a game. And it works so well because you are actually doing it. You're actually, you can rotate the the Falcon on your arm and you see all around it. And you see where the, the poor thing has these needles stuck in its side that got shot at it from these robots. And you reach out and you grab them and you pluck them off and the bird feels better. And then you pet his back and he feels okay. And he flies off and he goes back into the fight. That's falconry. Oh man, I'm so into this game. And it's, you know, there's items to collect. There's crafting. There's puzzles, I guess, light puzzles. Uh, I am so down for Falcon age. And again, you can play it outside of VR, but why would you? It's going to be on P- PSVR. I played it in VR. It's great. Uh, I am so looking forward to Falcon Age. Also had a chance to try uh, some of the most anticipated upcoming Oculus Rift games. I played them on the S, as I talked about earlier in the show, uh, including Stormland, Insomniac's upcoming uh, game where you play as a robot where you can upgrade yourself by literally yanking limbs off your body and reattaching new ones. Really, really cool and clever. Uh, it's a shooter and a traversal game. You at moments, you like put your arms out in front of you and you can fly really fast. Ah, this game it looks incredible. It's a triple a game from insomniac. These are the, you know, this is the studio that gave us Spider-Man this year. Uh, I'm so excited for Stormland and what little I played of it. I played, I don't know, a 20 minute demo. It has me very, very, very excited for that game. And then I got to play a game uh, that is also coming from Oculus Studios. I think it is also an Oculus exclusive called Asgard's Wrath. This is from the studio that did VR Sports Challenge, which is a game that is woefully underrated uh, and is one of the best VR experiences still, uh, and the Marvel Powers United uh, VR game that I think is a little rough around the edges, but still super fun to give you the experience of feeling like you're Thor and Wolverine and Spider-Man and all, a bunch of other characters. Uh, this is their big role-playing game experience, and I can't explain it any better than saying, hey, remember how we all loved God of War recently? What if you were inside Kratos's skin. <laughs> That's what Asgard's Wrath is. It's a similarly themed, obviously, Asgard's Wrath. You, you know, walk across the Bifrost and ride the rainbow bridge into the 
into the realm of Niflgard or, you know, all the, all the same kinds of things. And you are, you know, in first person in VR, sword fighting with, uh, with axes and swords and shields and daggers that you can throw. And that they have nailed that feeling of visceral God of War style, bloody melee combat where you go into battle against these demons. They have uh, certain attacks that you, you know, sort of punch out style that will clue, clue you in on something you might have to do. But I mean, I literally, in the course of this demo, a monster threw a dagger at me. I raised my shield. The dagger stuck into the wooden shield. I reached out, yanked the dagger out of my own shield and threw it back at the bad guy, slicing his face in half. Amazing. And where it really scratches that God of War itch in the same way is you have an axe that just like Kratos in God of War, you can throw and you literally pull it off your your hip where it's in its sheath. You, uh, you know, you pull it out with your hand, grab it, and then make a throwing motion and you throw it at the bad guy. And then when you want to pull it back into your hand, Kratos or Thor style, you do the reverse motion of a throw. So you go from, um, you know, down to up and yank your hand back and then it comes back into your hand and you grab it. So it's, it's just like God of War where you're throwing your axe out and pulling it back to you and throwing it out and slicing something and pulling it back and it attacks on the way back just like on the way forward. But you're doing it all physically because it's in VR and one-to-one. So you see the thing up close. It's all in 3D and you're throwing it forward and grabbing it back. I mean, come on. I guess there's 40 hours of gameplay, a big, uh, a big sprawling storyline. I played the first mission of the story where you're literally uh, the size of a god wading through an ocean with ships all around you. There's a little guy on a ship yelling at you to help him as the thunder cracks all around. And then you fight a kraken and you know, you're, you're, it's throwing ships at you and you're slicing the ships in two as you're waist deep in the ocean as a god. And then, you know, it grabs you, you're slicing its tongue as it's smacking itself at you. I mean, the scale and the feeling, uh, this game just seems super epic and cool. One I'm very, very excited about for VR. So there you have it. Some VR fun at GDC. Like I said, I saw a lot of stuff there. But uh, those are the best of the best, and I'm sure I'll be talking more about other things as they come up. And now, back to the show with guests. <laughs> so much for solo time. All right. Well, uh, that is going to do it for this episode of DLC. Stick around for our parting gifts. Uh, but Chris Baker, thank you so much for being here, sir. It's been such a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Uh, yeah, I've been a fan for a long time and it was great to be here myself sometimes honestly i forgot i was on the show and i was just like listening to the podcast it's like that that's how good you guys are <laughs> oh thanks i appreciate that well uh tell people where they can you know keep up to date on operencia and all of the other things you're doing yeah yeah uh you can uh, follow operencia uh go to operenciarpg.com that's the website or at operencia rpg that's o-p-e-r E-N-C-I-A-R-P-G on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. 
me personally, I am at cbake76 on Twitter. And if you go there, you can get all kinds of links to other stuff I do, like my personal website and my uh, my uh, YouTube channel, which is you can go to superhero.bg if you want, just want to go there yourself, too. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to see all your Batman playthroughs there. It's going to be a blast. Uh, Christian Spicer, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, if you're in San Diego, I believe I'm doing two shows at Madhouse on Saturday, and I think I'm doing a show Sunday at the La Jolla Comedy Store. So two clubs, two show, or two clubs, three shows down in San Diego. If you're there, go to a show. Remember the code word is Kingwood High School. Uh, <laughs> that's how Chris and I know you actually matter, bruh. Totally. Um, <laughs> and then otherwise, Twitter at Spicer. And then aside from this week, and I think next week, uh, I typically stream these shows live on my Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. Jeff, what about you? Well, you can always email us here at the show at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. love hearing your questions and comments and opinions of all kinds. Uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you send that. You can also follow me on Twitter. I love hearing from you there as well, at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And if you want to hear me talk about movies and TV shows, head over to the Slash Filmcast, which you can find anywhere you get podcasts or by visiting slashfilmcast.com. All right, guys, uh, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Chris Baker, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, you know, much like I was a fan of this show for years before finally being a guest, there's a uh, a Spider-Man podcast that is very much the same boat called uh, the amazing spider talk and if you consider yourself a big spider-man fan and if you, you have not been listening to this show you had better listen to this show it's fantastic they talk to all like the spider-man creators they uh they have like basically reviews of basically every issue since the superior spider-man era a few years ago uh and they the past few years they've really focused on just having great shows about the themes of spider-man and uh, it is uh the uh, my favorite like comic book related uh, podcast out there it's called the amazing spider talk it, who is who hosts this i think i feel like i know uh this... dan gavazdan and mark yes this is dan's show dan has been a guest numerous times on the slash film cast and that's right uh, I, I remember that now that you say that yes yeah, he's great he's, he's great amazing so guy. I will, yeah i will second this suggestion although i haven't checked it out myself i'm i really mean need to because uh Dan's awesome, and I love Spider-Man. So, yeah, the amazing Spider-Talk. Really cool. Christian Spicer, how about you? What do you got for a parting gift? Easy to say, hard to do. Spring cleaning. It is that time of the year. Get that bug. Clean it out. For me, I'm uh, getting, I'm packing up some old consoles to make way for new old consoles. <laughs> my <laughs> Wii U finally got the, the, the box, the box and bin this weekend, and that's where my... Um, mega sg is going to go so <laughs> i'm, I'm so clearing tempted space. by that myself so oh, tempted. i'm so excited i'm so excited i'm clearing space for old consoles to get my new old consoles in there but yes. spring cleaning it's important it's hard but it's super satisfying after you do it my wife did a bang up job on uh, the garage this weekend as well so i encourage our listeners to take that moment as the weather gets nice here hopefully for everybody um, to get rid of some old stuff, maybe donate some stuff, look to help out others, and uh, you know, clean up, clear out. 
Christian says clean. Uh, you're already feeling guilty. Christian's going to make you feel more guilty. Clean stuff. Um, <laughs> Why would they even feel guilty? <laughs> I feel guilty that I'm not cleaning stuff. There you go. <laughs> Although today I did a lot of that. Um, we got a listener suggested parting gift. This comes to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from John Benton. John says, started listening to the podcast as soon as I got on my workout this morning. So I felt like I had to make this a parting gift entry. I just joined Orange Theory Gym in November and it's been amazing. I'm taking part in their eight week transformation challenge. I've lost 20 pounds in the first four weeks. I've been skinnier in my, in my younger days, but have never in my life been as fit. My goal was 30 pounds in eight weeks and I will likely blow right past that. If I lose the highest percent of body weight, I win 500 bucks. It's a 60-minute workout group that is coached by a staff member. There are rowers, treadmills, and a variety of floor apparatus and dumbbells. And the coach will tell you what workouts to do, how far to row, when to increase treadmill speed or incline, when to switch, etc., and provide constant motivation. The thing I thought you and the listeners would appreciate is how they have nailed the gamification of working out. You purchase a heart rate monitor, and everyone's heart rate, calories burned, HR percentage, and splat points are displayed on monitors all over the gym. For every minute your heart rate is in the orange or red zone, you get a splat point. Uh, my block on the TV will be lit up in the color of my heart, the color my heart rate is in. If I'm in the green, I know I need to push harder to get back into the orange. If somebody else in the class has more splat points, I push harder. And splat points get harder to come by the fitter you get. So it's an easy way to make me break through plateaus and continue improving. It's a different workout every day, and I usually burn around 1,000 calories every time I go in. It brings out a competitive side in me that normally only comes out when playing a video game or a board game. I've used several traditional gyms over the years and would go in and putz around for an hour and barely push myself. The difference is amazing. Uh, it's honestly not cheap, but I was creeping up on 300 pounds, so this has been a very important investment in my lifespan, health, self-esteem, mood, energy level, and overall well-being. My girlfriend basically dragged me to the first workout to see if we liked it. And now I'm drinking the orange Kool-Aid and happy to be a geek in sneaks. Awesome, dude. I'm, we're not sponsored by Orange Theory in any way, but I'm certainly glad this is working for you, man. It sounds pretty rad. And congrats on becoming a geek in sneaks. And uh, hopefully you're listening to this right now as you're working out. So we're, uh, we're, we're supporting you, buddy. Uh, thanks for sending in your parting gift. You want to send in a parting gift and be like John, you can send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. My parting gift is a band, uh, not a new band, but one that's new to me. I have dis discovered a friend of the show and friend of Christian and, and mine suggested Paper Kites to me recently, and uh, I have fallen in love. Uh, Paper Kites is uh, lovely, especially there's a song called Bloom. Not a new song, but one I wasn't aware of. Many of you probably will already know, but uh, I've just had it on repeat. It's gorgeous. Um, sort of melodic uh, guitar, uh, very moody and sweet, very positive. Uh, it's called Paper Kites is the band, and the song that I would recommend is Bloom. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Chris Baker and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. <coughs> Excuse me. And enduring all of our numerous technical problems this evening <laughs> uh thanks to our musical contributors patrick elshon madigan and zero star uh thanks to the folks that hang out with us in real time <clears throat> in the chat rooms and thank you to each and every one of you who download the show we really appreciate it we'll be back next week until then think about what you put out into the world make it a better place